So some people have asked me, as I've been here for six months, uh, a couple things. Sometimes they ask me, what do I do during my week? And I'll address that later. Um, but people have also asked me, Todd, do you enjoy cooking? Because I'm no longer on a meal plan with college or anything like that. So I'm responsible for most of my meals outside of Sundays and Wednesdays when the college group meets and everything. And uh, I've, I'll be honest, I started examining my meals and my portions, and what I noticed is I was eating a whole lot of protein and maybe some carbs, but I was neglecting vegetables and fruits and all of those things, and so I, I wanted to implement a change in my life. And so how many of you know what meal prepping is? Anybody? Does anyone not know what meal prepping is? You can raise your hand. Okay, a lot of people in early service didn't know what meal prepping was, so I had to explain that. But if you don't know what meal prepping is, meal prepping is basically just the practice in which you plan out how many meals you're going to prepare for the week, and you basically go to the store, buy all the groceries, take them home, cook all your meals in one sitting, not before you eat them every time, and you put them in these handy-dandy little containers with portioned places, and you stick it in the fridge, and when you're ready to eat it, you simply take it out of the fridge, take it with you to the to your work or your job or whatever, and you heat it up, and within two minutes, you can have a really hot meal, which is portioned and healthy and all that stuff. I wanted to make a change, and so I started meal prepping, and so I've done this the last couple months, and I've seen, I just have really enjoyed it. I, I know that I'm getting all the portions that I need. I know it's all effective, and it's just very practical, because in our fast-paced world today, I can keep up with it and still know that I'm getting the nutrition that I need. It's practical, it's beneficial, it's, it even saves me money and time in the long run. It's practical. Some of us, for us, some of us, this is meal prepping. How many of you feel like the little dog in that picture? Yeah, you're cute, yeah. Some of us meal prep, some of us just look up memes about meal prepping, whichever one we can do. How many of us can say that our faith is practical? No, you don't have to meal prep to actually have a practical faith, but how many of us could say that our, our faith is, is effective and it's, it's fruitful in the lives of those around us? How do you know your faith's practical? Do, how, how, do you, how do you measure that? How do you determine that? How do you, how do you know that your faith is making a difference in the lives of those around you? How do you even know you're possessing it and you have it with you? James addresses this. James wants us to have a practical faith, especially as he's writing to a people who are enduring all kinds of temptations and trials of their life. They're facing external, external tests and trials on the outside, but there's temptations that come along with, with them. And so James is getting them back to the gospel and getting them back to a place where they can live a practical type faith. We're not meal prepping this morning, but we are going to faith prep some this morning, so we're pulling from the meal prep process and moving forward. If you, if you wanted to make, break the meal prep process down into three movements, there's the same movements in, this, in the text this morning. You've got to gather all the ingredients. You can go to the next slide. We gather the ingredients at the store, we go home and do something with those ingredients, and then we, we take it out with us into our daily life context, and that's the movement of James here. And so we've got to gather the ingredients. We've got to receive the gospel truth Verse 19, chapter 1, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save 
your soul. James says, put away these things, put away all that th- those things that run wicked within you and rampant within you and receive something else. He's using conversion language, much like Paul will in, in Romans chapter six where he said, we've been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Or in Colossians chapter two, put off the old clothes, put on the new clothes in Christ. Maybe even in Ephesians 4, Paul uses conversion language to put off the old and put on the new, and James does that here. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the implanted word or the gospel which is able to save your soul. Most of us have done this at our baptism, though. Many of us have died with Christ in baptism. We've risen to walk in newness of life. Why do we still have to remember the gospel? Why do we still have to receive it and to think about it every day, not just at our baptism. Paul actually says this in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you in which you received, past tense, in which you now stand, present tense, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Have you ever noticed in the Corinthian letter how much Paul is like stepping on their toes, addressing hot topic issues? This is a church with a hot mess going on. They've got all kinds of chaos, all kinds of issues, and for 14 chapters, Paul's addressed corporate worship. He's addressed issues with idolatry, offering food to idols. He's addressed unlawful sexual relations with a stepmother. Why does Paul feel the urge to remind Christians of the gospel? It's because it's the only thing that's going to keep them spiritually sane. James thinks the same thing. In tests, in trials, in temptations, you are going to need to be tethered to the gospel, and it's worth remembering, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, it's worth remembering every day of your life. And so if James and Paul both think that it's wise to keep us spiritually tethered to the gospel, then so will we. Amen? Remind yourself of the gospel What is the gospel we remind ourselves of? Next slide. You may have seen these symbols before, an arrow, a cross, a semicircle for resurrection, arrow up and arrow down. In a sense, oftentimes in the churches of Christ, we've often kind of adapted to what the gospel is, and we've come to say that it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And yes, those are historical accounts in the gospel, but the gospel does expand out a little further. It's the fact that Jesus didn't, bask in the glories of heaven and wave a wand and say, I forgive you. No, he put on flesh as a little baby and grew up in this world and walked among us and understood pain and agony and suffering. And he lived a life so perfectly and so completely in the sight of God that it cost him his life and he went on the cross and the only sin that he ever wore was ours. And the same casket that all of our loved ones that have gone on have entered, Jesus has entered that on our behalf. But on the third day, he rose from the grave, conquering death, where we can look in the face, if we're in in the face of death, if we're in Christ Jesus, and say, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And Jesus ascended back into heaven. He reigns and rules from heaven, but he's promised to return. And all of us who surrender our lives to him and are washed in his blood and renewed in his spirit, he will call home and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But those who are not a part of him, who are not washed in his blood and renewed in his spirit, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. 
and we all get to decide which side we're on. We get to pledge allegiance, but we must surrender accordingly. This is the gospel. So what if we woke up every single day thinking about this and reminding ourselves about the promises of God in the gospel? As Paul said, he washes over us with grace and mercy every day. That no matter what I've been through or what I've done, the gospel is still present. No matter what I struggle with, the gospel is still there every waking moment of my life. If we're going to have a practical faith, it's got to start with us. We first have to be impacted by the gospel. If we're not impacted by the gospel, we will never impact other people with the gospel. Our faith is not practical until it becomes impactful, and we've got to be impacted by the gospel. So, second portion of meal prepping, you gather all the ingredients at Walmart. Then, you've got to take them home and prepare your meals. You've got to actually take the ingredients out of the bag, put it in the skillet or in, in the air fryer or whatever you use on the stove, and, and you cook your meals and prepare them and put them in these handy-dandy little containers. That's the second part of this. James has something to say, too, about preparing our meals or, or doing something with gospel truths. Verse 22 He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Y'all, we cannot just be a group of people that gather gospel truths together and collect them in our head and we can give a Sunday morning answer anytime someone asks. We've got to be a people who live out these gospel truths. It's almost like when you go to gather your ingredients at the store, you go to Walmart and you buy them, it's as if you, you, you don't even have to meal prep for this illustration. You go to the store, you get all your uh, groceries, you take them home and you put them in the pantry or in the fridge or on the counter, but you leave it there. How good's that meal going to be if you never actually take it out of the package and do something with these things? There's not going to be a good meal at all. Thanksgiving's going to taste way different this year. James is calling us to take out the ingredients and do something with it in our everyday practical life, not just leaving it on the shelf or in the counter or in the fridge. We've got to do something with these gospel truths. And when we walk in obedience, it allows those ingredients to be put in a skillet somehow, coming together, making a really well-done meal. And so often we do this with our spiritual life. So often we find ourselves prioritizing things a little bit backwards. This is what we often do in the church. We often prioritize, as long as I sit in the pew, if I can pack the pew, if I can get someone else to come to church even, as long as I show up and attend, I'm good with God. Now, I, I, let me give, let me, don't get me wrong here. Showing up and attending is a great thing. It's a great tool God gave us and designed. He even set up commands and put it in place so that we would protect this time together, that we would meet together when life gets chaotic. It's important. It is a great tool. We're blessed and encouraged by it. However, if I find myself prioritizing sitting in the pew as opposed to actually living this out in my living room, I've missed the point. If I prioritize coming to a building with the right title on the the sign, 
but I don't treat my family any different, I've missed the point because God never called us to prioritize weekly attendance over daily obedience. Because if we get this wrong, we look like the guy that James describes as someone who looks in the mirror, sees all kinds of impurities on his face, and continues to go on and forget and probably go on a hot date and just completely mess that up. And even on a more, even closer to home relevant thing, I hear all the time, Spencer does a great job, and we are so blessed to have the insights and the depth and the understanding of Scripture, and we get to be exposed to different creative elements in in the presentation of the text, week in and week out. We know how hard he works, genuine, faithful, good. I'm impressed to even see as someone who's training under him to see what my preaching could be like someday. I'm very impressed by that. But how often are we commenting how good the lesson was delivered as opposed to how I'm going to live the lesson this week? What if instead of just, just saying good, good lesson to whoever fills this pulpit, what if we said, I'm going to try to live that this week? I'm going to do something about it. I'm actually going to do something as opposed to just be glad I'm taking it in. Because God never called us to prioritize weekly attendance over daily obedience. It's not how many sermons I hear or I'm wowed by or I'm encouraged by. It's the amount of sermons that I'm living. Our faith is not practical until it becomes impactful. Here's what we're called to. Just flip it around. We're called to daily obedience. Living this out in our living room, not just in the pew. Because our faith will never be practical until it becomes impactful. So you've cooked your meal, you've done things, you've made changes in your life, and now what you do is you put it in the meal container prep and you put it in the fridge, and when you are ready for it, you make use of it. You pull the prep container out of the, out of the fridge and take it with you to work or to school or onto the job site, wherever you're going throughout your day. You take it with you and make, you make use of your prep work. Or you take the gospel with you in your everyday life. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, Paul, if anyone thinks he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this, per- this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, could you even imagine this? Could you imagine taking all those ingredients from the store? Could you imagine taking them to your house and cooking on the stove for hours and preparing all of your meals and putting them in these kind of containers and then leaving them in the fridge never to be touched. You're not only out time, you're not only out effort, you're not only out money, you're also out meals. How are you going to go find somewhere to get another meal? In the same way, our faith's got to be used in our life context because our faith is not practical until it becomes impactful. Now, James gives two benchmarks here. Two benchmarks for a practical faith. My faith has got to consist of integrity, and it's got to consist of impact. I've got to have substance in my faith. So this is where daily Bible reading, this is where devotional time, this is where having spiritual conversations with people, this is where integrity comes in. I've got to maintain integrity, be something, have something of substance, and yet still engage people and in, impact the world around me. Next slide, Paul. 
I know this is a hot, hot topic sometimes. Oftentimes, for centuries, the church has always struggled with understanding how to live practically. For instance, the church has always struggled with, we know what God's word says over here. We know what the world's trying to do over here. We can clearly define it. But how do we engage the world with God's word without conforming to the world? How do we practice holiness without conforming to worldliness? That is the big question. That's the the dilemma we'll have to face for the rest of our lives until Jesus returns and sorts everything out. But for now, we're kind of stuck with this dilemma. How do we engage the world without conforming to the world? It's a big question. Jesus actually modeled this very well in his ministry, being perfectly fully God and fully man. And he called his disciples to be salt and light in Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. If you notice in salt and light, salt is very different from anything else that's around. And yet, salt can make or break a meal. My sister's here this morning. She can attest that, and my mom does not claim to be the best cook in the world, so I will pick on her a little bit, but I was thankful for any time that she did cook a meal. Right, Jenna? Were you thankful every time she cooked? Put you on the spot. We were thankful every time mom cooked a meal, but there were times that the chicken could be a little dry. You know, there, there were times that the green beans were like, why didn't you put bacon in these, right? I don't know if she really understood seasoning, but she did cook for us. I will promise you that. So salt can make or break a meal. It makes or break, breaks a Thanksgiving meal. But think about that, though. Salt never changes a meal unless it leaves the salt shaker. Until it is poured on the food, you will never taste the salt. You can look at it in the salt shaker and admire it, but it doesn't change the meal until it's actually applied. The light bulbs, completely different than anything else in this world. And yet, as long as it stays in my laundry room, in the box that I bought it in, until I actually put it in the fixture, it doesn't do anything for me. We can't just be a people who pack the pew. We've got to be willing to change the living room. Jesus actually was able to maintain an integrity and holiness without compromising it for worldliness, engaging Galilean fishermen, calling them to be fishers of men, engaging the woman at the well, telling her everything she ever needed to know, engaging promiscuous women and Pharisees and tax collectors, all without compromising holiness. Because Jesus knew that our faith is not practical until it becomes impactful. Go to the next one. A lot of people have asked me, Todd, what do you do on a weekly basis? And I have the hardest time answering this. And so this is part of the answer. What do you do? Following Spencer around, what does he do? And I I still don't have a full, clear answer for you, but I do work, I promise. At the beginning of this time, when I started back in June, Spencer gave me a checklist of about 14 different things that I can be doing throughout the week uh, to make sure that everything stays afloat, that sermon prep gets done, Bible class prep gets done, but also that people get visited and, and texted and, and cards written and other things that are helping maintain all of this. And you know what I've realized over the last six months or so? Anyone in this church can do this. You probably already do some of this stuff. Anyone can read their Bible. Anyone can pray. 
Anyone can send a text or a card or a letter to somebody. Anybody can maintain integrity of faith, but also still impact people with faith. Any one of us can do this. Anyone can drop by the hospital and visit somebody. But it's not a matter of if you can, it's will you do it? Will you be a person of integrity, of substance, rooted and grounded in the gospel, and impacting people with the gospel? That's the big question. Anybody can go through memorization of flashcards, but it's a matter of will you do it? Because our faith is not practical until it becomes impactful. What can you do? This is just a starting point. What can you do this week to make an impact on someone else's life, particularly not in this building? I'm not saying don't check up on somebody. I'm not saying we don't need people going this afternoon to the funeral service in West Memphis. But what I am saying is it doesn't need to just consist of people who are already salt and light. We need to impact other people with bland lives and dark lives. How can you impact somebody this week? Your faith will never be practical until it becomes impactful. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Is your faith practical this morning? Are you someone who gathers the gospel, regularly receives the gospel, remembers the gospel, what Jesus has done for you? And, I, and applying it to your life? Do you do it? Do you do something with it in your everyday life? Or do you just cast it by the wayside and forget what it was when you leave this building? Are you someone who checks on people, visits people, does something? Because all of these things, things that were just up on the screen, they're not just for the people who preach on Sundays and who are titled minister. This is for every single member of Christ's church. What can you do to step out in faith practically this week? If you've, deci- if you've never made the decision to obey the gospel of Jesus in the waters of baptism, what are you waiting for? There is coming a day when Jesus will say, welcome into my inheritance, good and faithful servant, for those of us who are washed in the blood and renewed in the spirit. If you've not made the decision to be baptized, I can't guarantee that you've actually been washed in the blood of Jesus What are you waiting for? Be renewed in his spirit today. If today you have a struggle or a trial or or something that's setting you back and keeping you from living an impactful faith, you can make that known. We'll be willing to take anything that you have. But if you have any need this morning, come forward as we stand as we sing.